Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. We've been in the midst of a global health pandemic, aware like never before of how easily we can transmit death to others without even knowing it. But long before this current health pandemic, brothers and sisters of ours have been inflicted by an ongoing racial pandemic, transmitted to them through sinful practices and racist systems. For those of us from a European background who are mostly white, we are often unaware that this is a daily reality for many of our black brothers and sisters. They experience racism in overt and in hidden ways. But now, due to the tragic death of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and others, we've had their daily reality raised to a higher level of our collective awareness. And the question is, Will we hear it? Or will it fade when the news cycle moves on to other things? Will we open our eyes to see what they see? To see what God sees? Like many others, like many of you, I've been trying to hear. I've been trying to see. Trying to listen and to respond to what is happening. So that my own heart and our collective culture can receive the truth and pursue God's will of justice and righteousness in our world. I hope that's been true of you. And so today, I'm going to talk about racism. I'm going to draw together a a core theme that runs through the whole of Scripture, something that has actually already emerged from our renewed series. And as we do, my prayer is that we would heed the Spirit-inspired wisdom of James when he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Can I just say this? When it comes to a talk about racism or engaging the conversation about racial injustice, this means that we must listen non-defensively as we hear experiences that our brothers and sisters have had of racism. It means that we don't try to just jump in with our ideas, our solutions, or worse yet, our excuses. James goes on and says this, Therefore, get rid of of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
May we all, and particularly those of us who are white and have never experienced what our black or indigenous brothers and sisters can experience every day, may we be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry so that we can do what God's word tells us to do with respect to racial injustice. Friends, the goal of our Renewed series, where we've been proceeding through the story of all the scripture, is that we would let this scripture story activate us into the greatest story of all. And that greatest story, as we've been discovering, is a story of God rescuing his broken, sinful world. A world that has rejected God and has ravaged other people at every turn. Through Jesus, God reconciled people to himself and simultaneously reconciled people to each other with a particular emphasis on the reconciliation of racial groups that had been previously at odds with each other. We must always remember that the reconciliation won by Jesus Christ on the cross is both this way between us and God and this way between us and and others. That's stamped all over the Bible, and it must always be held together. Racism is the antithesis of reconciliation. And so God activates us as ministers of reconciliation and against racism. Reconciliation has always been God's goal, has always been God's desire, which leads us back into the story, picking up right where we left off, last week. Remember where we were at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 and 20? God makes a covenant with his people. Yahweh, they're rescuing God, and they are his redeemed people. And God lays out for his people how they're going to live now as his people. And as he does, a striking theme emerges, one that we can trace trace forwards and trace backwards through the whole story of Scripture. After reminding them of what he had done for them, of his grace, because grace is always first, God then gives his people ten primary commands. These commands are not ways of earning God's salvation, but rather they express how God's people are to live as his saved people. And everything else they're told through the next series of books, all the laws about how they're to worship and sacrifice and how they are to treat foreigners or make restitution when there's been wrongs, even how they're to respond to disease in their community. The whole rest of the law in some way can be connected back to these first 10. But more than that, the whole law can be summarized quite simply as loving God and loving others. I'm sure you've heard this. Jesus, when asked to which of the 613 covenant commands was the greatest one, responded famously with this. He said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. All of the law boils down to this. Love God and love others. And we can see even how the Ten Commandments divide along those same two lines. The first four commands, 
No other gods, no graven images, don't take, don't take God's name in vain and keeping the Sabbath, all about loving God. While the second six commands, honoring parents, not killing, not sleeping around, not lying, stealing, coveting, that's all about loving others. Jesus, our Messiah, our teacher, our Lord, provides for us a succinct and powerful interpretation of God's entire will to love God and to love others. Now, even that we failed to do. That's how this story rolls out. And so we needed Jesus to fulfill that perfectly on our behalf. And he was able to love God and love others in a way that we couldn't. Thank you, Jesus. But God still wants to fulfill that in us. And what was accomplished by Jesus is now being applied to us by the Holy Spirit so that we are able to grow in our love for God and grow in our love for other people, receiving forgiveness for when we inevitably sin, but also being empowered to love in ways that we may never have imagined. And that's the primary way that the Holy Spirit activates us into his story. I mention all of this to point out a theme. You see, when God's people forsook God's covenant, he would send them prophets again and again and again to call them back to faithfulness and to warn them of what would happen if they didn't. And whenever these prophets showed up throughout the whole story, they confronted God's people with two primary sins, idolatry and injustice, worshiping false gods and mistreating other people again and again and again. They were like broken records. That's all they talked about, idolatry and injustice failing to love God and failing to love others as God had called them to do. I want to offer you just one sample, but honestly, you can find this all through the story. The sample I want to offer you is from the prophet Jeremiah, from chapter 7, when he confronts God's people with these words. He says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, Then I will let you live in this place and in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Do you hear that? I hope you heard the tag of Jesus. He himself quoted this passage when he was flipping tables over in the temple, angry at the injustice and idolatry that he witnessed there. But did you hear the way that God, through Jeremiah, challenges specifically their idolatry and their injustice? 
You have forsaken God and you're harming others. You're also harming yourself. That you must repent of your idolatrous injustice and return to a right relationship with God and with others. Or else. That's the prophet's message. That's the drum they beat. Every time they show up, constantly and without apology, they are challenging the people about idolatry and about injustice, which usually lands them in deep trouble with everyone because no one ever likes hearing that they're wrong when it comes to how they're worshiping God and how they're treating other people, especially when they're benefiting from that. Not then, not now. Here's what I want us to see. Idolatry and injustice is a common thread you can see through the whole story of Scripture because idolatry and injustice are what happens when people fail to love God and fail to love others. And so, again and again and again, God sends his prophets and eventually his own son to call his people back to faithfulness, to call his people to repent, to turn back to a right relationship with God and with others. And they killed many of them for it. They killed Jesus for it. Blinded by idolatry, benefiting from injustice, and unwilling to repent. And so we find in this a scriptural principle that holds true today and helps us move into greater spiritual discernment as we look at what's happening around us. Here's the principle. Wherever there is idolatry, Injustice naturally follows. And wherever there is injustice, idolatry is always present. Did you hear that? This is really important for us to get. Just as loving God and loving others are the twin commands of God, accomplished perfectly by Jesus and now activated in us by the Holy Spirit, idolatry and injustice are its opposite evil twins. One always signals the presence of the other, every time without exception. When you see injustice happening, look for the idolatry. It's always there. And whenever you witness idolatry, expect injustice. It will always come. Now, I acknowledge that we don't always see it immediately. Sometimes we don't exactly know how this all works. But the fact is, they're always together. When images of God are being destroyed, when people are being discarded, when a black man is hunted down by two white men in the back of a pickup, when a black man dies because a cop is kneeling on his neck in spite of his cries that he can't breathe. Whenever that is happening, two forces are always at work. Idolatry and injustice. And our responsibility, given by God, as people of his story, is to let God show us where that idolatry exists and where that injustice is happening so that we can repent personally, but also resist prophetically so that we can be activated by the Holy Spirit against racism, as Jesus has called us to be, so that we can love God and love others as his renewed people. Remember where the whole story starts. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Everything we understand about what it means to be human and what it means to be God's is connected to our understanding that people are created in God's image. And because we are created in God's image, what we worship, who we worship, either enhances our humanity or it deforms it. When we worship the true God who made us, we become more fully human, loving others as God has created us and called us to love. But whenever we turn away from the worship of the true God, we begin immediately to oppress those around us. There's a logic here. I don't have time to develop it all today. We had an extensive conversation in our Zoom study on Wednesday about this. But the logic is simply this. We are the only images of God that God has permitted to exist in creation And whenever the images of God that he has made begin to turn their attention and worship to other images, to other idols, we immediately will begin to mistreat and oppress the real images of God, the humans around us. Whenever we worship right, we're able to be fully human in love. But when that worship goes wrong, so does our treatment of others. But here's the thing. People can think they're worshiping the true God. They can think that. But if they're oppressing others, that's the proof that they're not. Quoting a Bible verse, claiming to stand up for the true God just isn't enough. Proof of right worship will be evidenced in right relationship. Check out Amos 5 sometime as the prophet Amos challenges God's people and says, I don't care about all of your worship stuff. Look at how you're treating each other. Let justice roll down. Let it flow like a river. God doesn't care about quote-unquote right worship that looks right if people are being mistreated because the truth is if people are being mistreated, worship has gone wrong. People can quote scripture, but that doesn't make it part of God's plan. All that is to say this, friends, as followers of Jesus, or as people exploring faith in Jesus, we are called to respond to idolatry and to injustice. To respond first personally, but also to respond collectively. Well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as the Erickson Covenant Church? Let's talk practically for a moment. First of all, I I can tell you that I don't actually know what all of this means. Uh, I'm trying to listen. As a white man, and for us as a congregation of mostly white people, we have a lot of work to do to even understand the injustice that our black or our indigenous brothers and sisters have faced historically and now. We have a lot of work to do before we can even think of responding. Some of us struggle to even acknowledge it. Some of us are very overwhelmed by it. Some of us, if we're honest, we try to excuse it or deflect it or ignore it or even deny it. Most of us know, I think all of us know, that racism is wrong, but because of our own experience, we can't really figure out our place in the story. Well, using these twin themes of idolatry and injustice, let's talk practical. Let's start with the justice. How can we be activated by the Holy Spirit against racial injustice? There's two ways I want to draw out today. The first is to listen. 
That's the very first place we have to start. We have to listen. Be quick to listen. To listen, to listen, and to listen again. We must ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear. To open our ears to hear with humility, without defensiveness. Hearing from our brothers and our sisters who have experienced racial injustice, who continue to experience it even today. With our mouths shut and our ears open, we need to sit at their feet and we need to learn. Too many of us speak without listening. Or can I say it? Post on Facebook without listening particularly when it comes to racial injustice. And Jesus is calling us as the body of Christ to listen to members of his body who have been suffering. Everything starts here. We must listen. And so to do that, I ask you now to listen to one of our covenant pastors, Ephraim Smith, as he shares with us the reality of racial injustice and calls us into this conversation. Hey, this is Pastor Ephraim Smith, and um, I have to admit I'm coming to you uh, with a grieved heart. Um, I watched the video of the death of George Floyd, um, and it's a video um, that's not isolated. There have been way too many videos of unarmed African Americans dying at the hands of law enforcement. 
I shouldn't have to say this, but so that I can be heard, I will say that I have family members that are police officers. I have dear friends that are police officers. Uh, I, I grew up with, with police officers. The police chief of Minneapolis right now, he and I grew up in the same community. And at the same time, what breaks my heart is that George Floyd died on the block where I grew up. While he was crying out that he couldn't breathe and while he was crying for his mother. We have to do something. And I'm going to speak very, very, very plain. And I believe that what I'm saying is, is, is prayed through, is that the Holy Spirit is included in this, that it's backed up by the word of God because justice, nonviolent resistance, speaking out against evil, speaking out against powers and structures and institutions that are not what they should be is biblical. And so we, as the beloved children of God, have to speak on a consistent, regular basis with courage about injustice, about structures and institutions and systems that aren't right. It, you can simultaneously hold the belief that you honor people in authority and at the same time go that if sin has penetrated the entire world, then it's penetrated every societal domain. It's penetrated universities. It's penetrated government. It's penetrated the the police departments. And we have to work together to be better, to admit sin, to admit faults, to it, that, that if you want respect and credibility, you also have to be willing to say there are too many things in our nation that is not right. And racism is one of those issues. And racism is real. And what we can't do is say, oh, it's on both sides. I have to say this to my white brothers and sisters because too many times I've seen responses by some of my white brothers and sisters that either deny that these instances, uh, that these incidents are about racism and they are. Too many have happened and, and it's been going on too long before they were videotaped back to Emmett Till in the 1950s and before that all the way back to slavery in this country. There is a sinister system and belief and hatred that must be dismantled with love, truth, and justice and repentance. Yes, so racism is not some neutral thing in our culture. The race structure was developed to benefit white people to put white people on top in every sector of society. So let's stop playing around like racism was constructed in this neutral, equal way so that black and brown people and red people and yellow people could be just as racist back to white people as white people have been to non-white groups. That's not what racism is. Racism is prejudice plus power. And it's systemic and it's institutional, and it creates disparities, and it privileges white people, and if we can't have that kind of honesty, we can't talk about race. To make race something else that you heard on a cable news station or that you heard in in 
from somebody who actually benefited from racism, defining racism doesn't work. I'm, I'm saying this in love, sisters and brothers. Those that have benefited from racism aren't the best people to define what racism is when they're sitting on a throne built on the backs of those that have been the victims of racism. And until we have that conversation in love with humility, we're not going to solve this. Colorblind doesn't solve it. Justice does. Reconciliation does. Naming the sin clearly for what it is. And I'm saying that because I love you, my white brothers and sisters, and because I need you to feel the pain, the grieving, and the hurt of people that look like me that could lose their life. I want you to think about this for a minute. I am your brother, and when I leave my house to go for a jog, I have to deal with I could die. I could be pulled over by the police for no reason but the color of my skin, and it could be the last moments of my life. Before you judge me, before you get defensive, before you get offended, I need you to receive that so we can move forward. And I hope you receive this in love. God bless you. I want to thank Pastor Ephraim Smith for sharing that with us. I think there's a lot said in there for us to mull over and chew on. We need to listen. The second way that we respond to injustice is that we lament. We're called to weep with those who weep. But not in a false or a patronizing way. Sometimes when white people come to understand the depth of the racial injustice that others have experienced, we can tend to wring our hands and weep in a way that actually takes away from their experience of pain. In fact, we can begin to make the emotional tragedy about us. We can't do that. Instead, we need to weep with those who weep that's rooted in a true, sustained listening. Listening to their stories, but also listening to their laments. That has to come first. And then lamenting with them of the injustices that they've experienced, the losses that they've endured, and letting the Holy Spirit groan within us. Pray from within us, as only he can, as he continues to groan over human images of his that have been so unjustly treated. The Psalms, of course, provide us with key laments. We've talked before about how the Psalms often give us voice for lament that we may not have experienced. And so we stumble across these Psalms that talk about having been um, oppressed or been treated unjustly. And some of us if we're honest, can think, I don't think I've ever been treated that unjustly. But we can pray these psalms and lament these psalms in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who have. We also, of course, can listen more, I think, to some of the music that has been created and sung by our black brothers and sisters over the last few centuries, arising out of their experience of radical racial injustice. We must listen to their lament, and then as the Spirit leads us, to join with them in that lament as an act of solidarity. Well, what about idolatry? How can we be activated against that? 
Identifying idolatry is actually very difficult because idolatry by its very nature blinds those who practice it. We become like the gods that we worship, Psalm 115. And idolatrous worship makes us less human, less able to see, less able to hear. And that's a warning for us, even as we begin, that it can be very difficult to see our own idolatry, and therefore even more difficult to acknowledge ways that we have ignored or even benefited from racial injustice. And so, Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we can see. So the first way that we're activated against idolatry is through repentance. Our first response is to repent. That's the call of the prophets. That's the call of Jesus. His first words, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. There can be no reconciliation without repentance. Reconciliation, or repentance rather, means turning around and accepting the lordship of Jesus Christ and letting him take leadership over our hearts and our minds and our actions. When it comes to repenting from idolatry that has perpetuated racial injustice, we must be willing, again, to listen non-defensively. We must be willing to look at white privilege, willing to acknowledge systemic racism, to admit and question cultural ways that black or indigenous people have been treated unjustly. Let me be honest. I want to speak really candidly here. Some of you listening right now have already started to tune me out. I know that. I've said things, certain words, certain phrases that have triggered you, and you're already deciding that I'm wrong. And friends, brothers and sisters, I ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you see, to help you repent to engage this conversation that our brother Ephraim Smith just invited us into because without repentance, without conversation, racial injustice will continue to ravage the lives of others. Repentance at its core is acknowledging the words that we've been repeating in our communion liturgy for a number of years now, words that we spoke just last week. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we've left undone. And then these words, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Those are the words of repentance. But repentance must be lived out. How? Well, I think there's probably a lot of ways. And I want to be led in that response by my brothers and sisters, particularly who have suffered racial injustice. And so I'm careful in this in what I say. I don't want to be too prescriptive because I want to be learning from them and responding to what I'm being called to by the Holy Spirit. But I will highlight one way, and that is through resistance. Under the leadership 
of Jesus Christ and in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who have suffered racial injustice, we must resist idolatry and injustice wherever it exists, be it here in our own hearts, be it in our own churches, in our own culture, in organizations that we're part of or schools that we're part of and friendship groups that we see and police forces or government or social institutions. We must resist injustice and idolatry because God has called us to live as his renewed people, loving him and loving others. I don't claim to know what that resistance looks like in particular. I don't. Again, we start with listening and with lamenting. We don't act on our own wisdom or our own experience, but under the leadership of Jesus and in solidarity with our black or indigenous brothers and sisters. But to repent is to resist. In the name of Jesus, anything that would deface or discard or dehumanize images of God. I could probably say more, but I won't. I want us to practice listening. I want us to go back to voices of those who have suffered, who are able to lead us as a church forward in this resistance. Let me wrap up with this reminder. At the very end of the story, this whole story that we're exploring now, in a vision in Revelation, John hears that the number of God's people being called off in a roll call. But when he turns and looks, what does he see? This is what he sees. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. When this story is finally over, all idolatry and all injustice will have been destroyed. And the people of God will stand to worship God fully and love each other truly as the multi-ethnic, racially diverse, one body of Christ. Friends, that's God's goal. That's what he's aiming for. And he's calling to live this out now, right in the midst of a broken and unjust world. We are to join hands with our black brothers and sisters, our indigenous brothers and sisters. Any person who's ever been told that the color of their skin makes them less of an image of God, perhaps no image of God at all, to hold hands with them, to hold them up, and to celebrate together with them our new creation life in Christ. The Spirit activates us as ministers of reconciliation against racism. We listen. We lament. We repent and we resist so that we may see God's renewal come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would activate us Activate us as your ministers of reconciliation against racism. And today, I ask, Lord Jesus, very simply, that you would help us to hear the voice of your Spirit calling us to do your will. We pray and stand with our brothers and sisters, black, indigenous, people who have been told 
or it's been communicated to them, or, or in subtle ways they have learned or been taught, been oppressed by the color of their skin. Lord Jesus, we stand with them today. We declare racism as a sin that grieves your heart. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would just hold up all of us together as we seek to do your will. In your name we pray. Amen. I leave you today with one of the great civil rights songs, O Freedom. O Freedom, O Freedom, O Freedom, O Freedom over me. And before I be a slave, I be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Let this song fill your heart as we go today. Lord Jesus, come and heal, restore, and lead us into your vision of reconciliation. Oh, freedom. Oh, freedom.
you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.